Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Let me invite you to take the Word of God, if you will, and, and turn in the Word of God as you open the Word of God to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, we're going to see the continuation of the ministry of two guys. One named Saul, we also know him as Paul, and one guy named Barnabas, a great man of encouragement. And as we watch these two guys, they're going to continue to minister, they're going to continue to go. And they've been sent from Antioch. You remember, they gathered with the church in Antioch, and there in Antioch, the church began to seek God, and then God began to speak up. And he said, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul, that I might use them and they might go for me to the ends of the earth with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Saul and Barnabas have have departed. They've launched out of Antioch and now they're traveling around sharing the good news of Jesus. And here they arrive to a place that is ready to receive the gospel at the same time in great opposition to the gospel. We're going to see what happens when two guys give their whole lives to Jesus in full, whole surrender. And that's what I want you to see in this text. I want you to see the challenge for us. These guys are what we're going to call kingdom difference makers. And how can you and I become kingdom difference makers? Because you have that ability. You have that capability because you have the power of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so I want to challenge you. How can you and are you making a difference for God? Because we're all making a difference one way or another either making a difference with apathy, making a difference with action. We're all making some kind of difference, but how are we making a difference for the thing that matters the most, eternity? And so if you will, for the reading of God's word today, let's stand together under his authority and honor his truth. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 14. Here's the word of God. It says, In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that, watch this, a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks, So, so far, so good. But verse 2 says the Jews who disbelieved, those who rejected the gospel, what did they do? They stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and then embittered them against the brethren. They began to cause trouble and cause problems. And therefore, as a result of persecution, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with what? Reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was finally made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they went as far as ready to plan their murder. They became aware of it and they fled to the cities of Lycania, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Have a seat if you will today. Keep the text open before you, and as you have the text open, let me invite you to take the backside of the worship guide as well and turn there. We're going to walk together through the Word, and as we do, we're going to plug in some things as we go. And again, here's what I want you to see about Paul and see about Barnabas. These guys, man, they were willing to risk it all for the name of Jesus. They didn't care one way or the other how it turned out. We're like, hey, we're going to make a difference, and we're going to do it all for his glory, and we're going to do it all for his glory alone, no matter what it costs, no matter what comes, no matter who comes against us, man, we are going to trust in the promise and the power of our God. 
And so these guys go and they make a difference for the kingdom. You're going to see here in a moment, they just divided a whole entire town with what? Not with their personality, not with a program, but with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to see two things within this text about being a kingdom difference maker and how you and I are called to make a difference for Jesus' name. It's here's number one. They found within his presence, within the presence of God, they found being courageous and they found being dependent. All right, they found in the presence of God, courage and dependency. How to be courageous, how to be dependent. We just read that these guys show up in verse 1, and they go where to the synagogue. Remember, that was the pattern, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And so these guys would come in. Every town they would come into, they would preach the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews, and they would go to the synagogue like they always do. And as they go, they're so effective, and God is so with them. What happens? Man, Jews and Gentiles are being saved. I mean, they're reaching everybody, right? So far, again, so good. They're reaching people for the gospel. Verse 2 says, I mean, there's a group of people who want nothing to do with Jesus. And there's a group of people who outright think these guys are crazy, out of their minds, and they need to get out of town, right? So there's this group of people who want to respond and a group of people who are willing to reject. And so on one hand, man, every pastor's dream, I preach the gospel, people respond, people are being saved, praise God, we're seeing revival, that's awesome. On the other hand, there's a group of people who hate you and want to kill you, right? That happens in church every Sunday, right? Here we are. There's a group of people who love them and a group of people who want to stone them, two wild extremes, and you would think that would discourage them. Man, you would think that would distract them. You would think that would defeat them, and that they'd be like, you know what, guys, maybe it's not worth it. You would think all those things would be the case, but it did not distract them. It did not deter them. It did not defeat them. It made them what? More desperate and more dependent for the presence of God. If you go to verse 3, therefore, all right, so we have all the response. They have the response both good and bad. It says, verse 3, therefore, they spent a long time there. They weren't like, hey, let's get out of here. No, they spent a long time there. We don't know how long, but a long time doing what? Speaking boldly. Speaking with courage, with what? Reliance upon the Lord. Not in their own strength, not their own wisdom, not because they were gifted enough. No, they, they spoke for a long time. They labored. They gave everything that they had for a long time with great trust and strength, relying upon the power of God who was testifying to the word of his grace, the, the truth of the, the word of God, granting signs and wonders be done by their hands. I love this. What they didn't say is, well, we tried. But you know what? They're not receiving it, so we better move on. Well, we try, but I'd really hate to make them uncomfortable. And, and, and I'd really make it, I don't want to make it awkward. I don't, I don't want them to feel weird about me, make them feel some kind of way. Because that's what we do, right? We share the gospel, try to have gospel conversations with people. And there's a little bit of opposition. We're like, well, okay, pump the brakes. Let's take a step back here. I sure hate for my family member to feel weird around me now because I told them about Jesus. And I hate to make the workplace relationship kind of weird because they know about me and Jesus now, right? We pump the brakes when we feel any kind of opposition. We pump the brakes when we don't want people to feel awkward or weird. We pump their brakes because we don't want to go any kind of direction that makes them or even us uncomfortable, but not these guys. Man, they risked it all. It says for a long time, even with people rejecting them, even with people planning to stone them, even with people celebrating them, whatever it was, celebrating the gospel, these guys were willing to risk it all to reach everyone for the power of Jesus Christ. Because here's what I want you to see. We will never be effective if we do not ever engage. 
right? We will never be effective if we don't ever engage. We must engage. We must be willing to be courageous. We must willing to be bold. And we must be willing to even spend a long time doing it to see a difference made for the kingdom of God. Effectiveness comes with our engagement of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so understand that you make a difference and you will reach the people God has called you to reach by boldly doing what God has called you to do. And here's the second part, and being willing to accept any outcome. I've shared the gospel with a lot of people, and I'll tell you, not every time has it been on their knees in full surrender and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A lot of times it's been, man, I don't have time for that. I don't want to hear that. I don't believe that. That's not for me. That's been a lot of it. I've had a lot of gospel conversations with a lot of people in a lot of different ways, and not every time has it been 100% successful. But what has been successful is I planted a seed. What has been successful is that if there's ever going to be any kind of effectiveness, it's going to happen because I engaged. And then God's going to take care of that. That's what Paul says. Hey, I planted, Apollos watered. It's the Lord who provided the growth. All right, our job is just to engage. Our job is to come and make a difference for whatever it takes, for however long it takes that we do it with what, though? With reliance upon the Lord. Again, these guys weren't like, we're gifted enough. We have the platform enough, we're we're talented enough, we're strong enough. These guys did not depend on themselves. right? As John 15 says, apart from God, we are nothing. They knew that. And they knew we needed the power and the presence of God. We need him to be effective in any way whatsoever. And we need him with complete reliance upon his power, upon his spirit, upon his gifting. It is only him. They were desperate and they were dependent upon the power of God. And then they were reliant enough to do what? To keep going. Because however it takes, it says this man that, that they began to prepare to stone them. They were divided. They were sided with the Jews, with the apostles. But here's what happens after that in verse 6. They became aware of it. Like, well, the mission still moves on. We're going to be tactful in how we go. We're not just going to stay and take it. But they became aware of it, and they fled to the cities of Lycania and to Lystra and to Derbe and the surrounding region. And there, what do they do? Lay low, wait till kind of everything cooled down. Make sure the riot didn't incite too much. No, they continued to preach the gospel. God's abundance comes in our dependence. God will show up when we need him the most. And what my fear is, is that we will never experience this level of courage and and this level of boldness from God because we're not willing to ever be put in a position where we actually need it. Oh, we stay safe. Comfort zone. I'm not willing to put myself out there because I don't really want to need the courage, right, to go out and speak what God has told me to speak. I don't need the courage to to want to go out and tell people about Jesus. I I don't want to be bold and courageous. I want to be safe and simple, right? That's how we tend to live our lives. Let's stay as protected and insulated as possible. And a lot of times we never experience this presence and this power of God is because we never actually need it. We're never willing actually to go out there and put ourselves and say, God, use me wherever you take me, I'll go. However you use me, I'll be used. We often don't ever need that because we never put ourselves out there. But these guys weren't willing to wait. They were willing to go. It says in verse 3, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders be done by their hands. Verse 3 tells they spent a long time there speaking boldly, proclaiming the gospel. Was that the first time, though, that they were boldly speaking the gospel for Jesus? No, they've been doing this. This isn't their first stop. 
They've been moving. They've been doing it in Antioch. They did it before in Jerusalem. They were boldly proclaiming the gospel, and everywhere they went, they were already moving for God. And here's what I want you to see. They didn't wait to go on mission to be used by God. They were used by God because they were already on mission. They didn't wait to be used by God to go on mission. They were used by God because they were already moving. They were already obedient. They were already taking steps of faith. They were already dependent. They were already walking by faith and not by sight. They were already moving with God. See, kingdom difference makers are not sitting around doing nothing, waiting on God to call them. God's not going to pull you off the shelf of sanctification, blow you off, dust you off, and then say, finally, now it's your turn to be used. No, he's going to use you because you're already moving. It's like a semi-truck. You can't move a semi-truck when it's sitting still, right? You can turn the wheel all you want, but it ain't going anywhere. But the way you can move 80,000 pounds really easily is when it's already rolling, right? God has called you to already be rolling. God has called you to already be moving with him, to walk by faith, to walk in the joy of your salvation, to walk as obedient witnesses for the gospel, and then he will use you for great things. And so it's simple. You want to be a kingdom difference maker? Join the work that God is already doing, and he will use you in mighty ways. See, they found courage. They found dependency in his presence. But then they found confidence and determination in his power. So in his power, they were confident. And in his power, number two, they were determined. You can plug those things in. In his power, they were confident and they were determined. Because it goes on, right? They, they continue to preach the gospel. So what happens next? Well, at Lystra, they moved on. Their kingdom, they're making a difference. They've split a whole entire town, divided it. And now they just go on and, and, and share the gospel even more, continuing. At Lystra, there was a man in the service who was sitting, had no strength in his feet, What about him? He was lame from his mother's womb, and he had never walked before in his entire life. And so this man was listening to Paul as he was preaching, as he was speaking. And when Paul, when he had fixed his gaze on him, had seen seen that he had the faith to be healed and to be made well, he said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And what did that man do who had never walked before in his entire life? A full-grown man, he leaped up and began to walk. No physical therapy, no baby giraffe steps. The guy got up, jumped up, and started walking, right? He was moving immediately, instantly. It wasn't a time miracle. It was immediate that came together. Now, here's what's happening. Paul's preaching, and and he notices someone in the crowd, and he notices he can't walk. And so I imagine, let's just say he's preaching in this room, and for somehow, in some way, he notices somebody, and he can't take his eyes off of them, right? And this guy's engaged in the gospel, and he begins to preach and he's preaching the gospel he, he's focused on this guy this one guy right there he's like man I can't take my eyes off him all of a sudden some supernatural discernment comes we don't know how it just tells us that Paul was able to see so the Holy Spirit began to speak to Paul and Paul began to notice in this man he's got faith he's got faith to be healed He's got faith that this guy can stand up and walk right now in this service. And so Paul's processing that. And that happens a lot. It's it's kind of interesting as I preach up here, sometimes I can think of people to be praying for. Or maybe the Holy Spirit will bring up something else in my mind, a verse or a story that I'm thinking about while I'm preaching about what I'm talking about, right? It's kind of interesting how all those dynamics can take place because my wife believes I can't do two things at once. And that's relatively true. But supernaturally, somehow that that happens. And so what we see here is Paul's preaching, but he notices this man has faith. He sees it. It says he sees it. 
It's somehow the Holy Spirit brings it to his mind, and, and he tells him, hey, stand up right now. Stand up. Can you imagine that? And that's a whole lot of faith for that man to be healed. But isn't it a whole lot of faith for Paul to even stop and say it in the first place? You thought about that? Because my thought is, I would overanalyze that. Like, oh, what if I stop the sermon and it doesn't go, doesn't go as well as I think it's going to go? What if I tell him to stand up and he just stays sitting like, what do you want me to do about that? Someone tells me to grow an arm. I'll be like, what do you want me to do? All right. How? Stretch? Like, I, I don't know. Like, a little shorthanded. It's, it's 3 o'clock. All right, so listen, like, he tells him. He tells him right there. He says, hey, stand up. And walk, and that's a whole lot of faith. And here's what I think when I think about that, and again, just a little sanctified speculation right here. I think a lot of us become ineffective because we're afraid to have faith that God will actually show up. All right, we don't actually witness, we don't actually tell people because, hey, what if it doesn't go the way I think it's going to go? What if it, it offends that person? What, what if, if God doesn't actually use me the way I think he's going to be used? Because, listen, we're not always going to have discernment. I'm not going to be able to stand right here and be like, hey, you have this and you have that. And, but what is true for everybody is God has told me to tell you about Jesus. Right? That's an that's a indefinite call for every believer is to go who? To, to, to everyone, where, everywhere, right? To the ends of the earth all the time. And so I have this indefinite call to say, hey, God told me to tell you about Jesus. And that's true. Right? So Paul is here, and he's telling this person about Jesus, but then he tells him, stand up and walk. And why? Because God had already promised him his power. Acts 1.8 says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He promised him power. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to give you my power, and you're going to go and be used by me. He was confident in Christ because he had the power of God with him. He had the presence of God with him. And here's good news. So do you. You can Make a difference for Jesus because you have the same Holy Spirit that Paul did. You have it. And you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, as same as Paul did here. Does he have all of you, though? Right? That's the, always the question. Not do I have the whole Spirit, but does the whole, Holy Spirit have all of me? Right? So we have to challenge ourselves to think about, man, I can be greatly used by God. I can be effective for God. I just have to have the faith to go. I have the faith to be a witness. And when the people saw what Paul had done, when people saw how God used Paul right here, man, what happened? They lost their minds. Let's go to verse 11. After this miracle happens, they see the impossible right before their eyes. Paul's preaching. He stops mid-sermon, tells the guy to stand up and walk. He stands up and jumps and walks and leaps. All of a sudden, the people lose their minds because in verse 11, it says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lycaonian language, so now it's a foreign language that they probably have not heard, a different dialect, the gods have become like men. They have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And so the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, what did he do? He brought down oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice, wanted to worship these guys with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes to show, hey, we're not pleased with this. And they rushed out in the crowd crying out saying, men, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature. We're, we're not supernatural men. We're filled with the supernatural power of God, but we are men just like you. And we preach to you that you should turn from these things. We're not here to promote earthly gods. We're here to promote earthly things. We're here to promote not the vain things, but to promote you to a living God. Turn to a living God. Repent who made the heaven and the earth and all that is in them. 
in the, in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good. You have a good God who loves you and gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seas, and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even in saying these things, even when they said, stop, turn to God, all right, repent, believe in the gospel, even in those things, with difficulty, they had to restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice to them, offering worship to them. So what, what in the world's going on here, right? What, what do we know about this context? Well, here's the context. In this city, all right, here we are in Lystra, they're Lycaonians, and we have this people, and they had this mythological folktale, right? And they believed a long time ago, Zeus and Hermes came to visit them, visit their town, and visit their people. And they think Barnabas he must have a strong stature to look like the god Zeus. And they obviously believe that, that we have Paul here, Saul being Hermes, because he's the messenger of the gods. He's the one orating and speaking. And they believed a long time ago that those two gods came down to earth. They were disguised as homeless men. They were disguised as poor beggars. And they went through the town playing undercover gods, trying to figure out who's going to love on them and give them something to eat and give them something to drink and a place to stay. And as they traveled through this town, nobody received them. Right, nobody loved them. Nobody welcomed them in their homes. And so they went through this whole entire town until they got to the outskirts and found this old, old couple. This, this two, old couple with no children, just living out, all humble by themselves. And this old couple received them and gave them the best that they had to offer. And all of a sudden the gods saw the compassion of these two people and they, they took them up on top of a mountain. And as they took them on top of this mountain, Zeus and Hermes in response and punishment for all the, the lack of care, they, they destroyed an entire town, flooded it and killed all the people. And they let this old couple have their temple. They built them a temple and they said, now you're in charge of the temple of the gods. That was the folktale. That was the mythological legend. Obviously, it's not true, but that was what they believed. And here they are. They see Paul speaking. They see miracles. And what do they think? The gods are back. Right? The gods are here again. And what we're not going to do is blow it this time. Our ancestors blew it, but we believe that we're not going to. And so they do all they can to now receive the gods back among their people. And that's why the priest comes out. He's got an animal ready to sacrifice. Let's worship these gods. These are gods among us. Let's worship them. Let's give them praise. Let's give them everything we can to honor them. And when they finally figured out what they were doing, when, when Paul and Barnabas finally caught wind of like, hey, this is getting pretty, pretty wild. We're, we're going pretty far with this. They stopped and said, no, no, don't worship us. We're here to tell you to, to turn from these things and to worship the living God. Don't give us praise and glory. We're, we're nobody special. We're here to tell you about the one who is, who's come to give you life. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross for your sin. He's been good from the beginning, and he wants to give you abundant eternal life through your repentance. Stop, don't give us anything, but give him everything. And I want to challenge you with that one thought as I think about these men in a position that they were in. That was their one chance for a little taste of glory. Oh, man. They want to worship us? All right, maybe a little bit. We won't let it go too far. We won't let it get out of hand. But we'll take a little bit of earthly pleasure, a little earthly glory, a little bit of earthly applause. But they were unwilling to rob God of what only was due him. And they said, not us, not us. And I want to challenge you with this thought as I think about those men, and, and not just as a, as a ministry perspective, think just about in, in an earthly perspective. You are called to never live for the applause of man, but always for the approval of God. Never live for the applause of man. Always live for the approval of God. 
Because the applause of man, it's attractive. It can be very intoxicating. And you're like, uh, not, not too much, but, but just a little bit. That feels good to have a little bit of promotion in this world. I feel, feel pretty good to have that little two-foot ladder and to climb that, climb that and then have that and, and get a little look above everybody else. It feels good, right? That's Satan, though, right? It's pride. And pride prevents you always from God's presence. So they, they, they said, no, we can live for culture or we can live for Christ, but we can't live for both at the same time. James 4.4 4 says to love the world and to be friends with this world, to give your life for the things of this world, is to be an enemy of God. And so they said, we're not willing to compromise. We're willing to live for Christ. And these guys have a heart to say, I'm not doing it my way. I'm doing it God's way. We're going to live for the Lord and the Lord Jesus alone because when we came into this world, we came with nothing, right? We came with nothing but dependency on God. And when Jesus came. He came with what? Nothing. It says he came not to be served, but he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So when he came as a servant, we go as servants. Serve what? The purposes of God. Serve the will of God. To serve the glory of God. And we've come, as they came right here, say, hey, no, 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 guys, listen. We preach to you the gospel here in verse 15, to turn from these vain things. Turn from your flesh. Turn from what you think is going to fill you up. To turn from the things that you think will satisfy your heart. We're here to tell you, turn from the world and turn to the one who's worthy. Jesus has come to give you life. He's come to give you a drink of living water that will never leave you thirsty again. He's come to give you a taste of, of the bread of life that will never leave you hungry again. We've come to turn you from emptiness and, and nothingness and things that will never satisfy to, to turn you to the only one who will. Give your life to Jesus. And they would not give up. Here's what I love. They would not give up until every person knew. Where do we see that? Let's finish our text right here, verse 19. The Jews came from Antioch. Remember, they started in Antioch. They've traveled to a few different towns now. They also came from where? Iconium. That's where they were before. And what were they doing there? Planning to stone them, right? They kind of left town, go on, share the gospel. Well, they also came behind them. And the Jews from Antioch, the Jews from Iconium, came behind them. And having won over the crowds, having kind of inciting everyone to a riot, they stoned Paul. They finished what they started. They stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. All right, so they stoned him. They literally pulverized him with stones. It wasn't pebbles. It was stones. It was a way of execution. And they planned on executing Paul. They fulfilled that, completed that, and they left him out for dead. They left his lifeless body on the outskirts of town. But while the disciples stood around him, and I imagine them just praying over him possibly, just mourning the loss of their great leader, what did he do? He got up. Who else got up before him? Our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He got up, and what did he do? He entered the city, and then the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Man, these people come all the way from the other town just to chase down this preacher, stone him, make sure he actually dies. They arrive, they stone him, they leave him for dead. They, started, uh, they finished what they started, and it says this, and very simply it just says, but Paul got up. That's such a big statement for such a small sentence, right? That's a tiny sentence, but a big statement. Paul got up. They thought he was dead, right? They did what they set out to do. Let's stone Paul. Let's execute Paul. They did that, but he got up. And you would think he would get up and go where? To an emergency room. You would think, I'm going to the doctor. 
People thought I was dead. You don't just get up and say, I'm fine, dust it off, right? When people leave you for dead and they feel like they've executed you, most likely you're going to need some, some life support. You're going to need some medical professional to check you out, maybe set you down and get, you're on bed rest for the next few days. That was, was, would be likely in my mind. But Paul got up and it says he did what? It says he got up and he entered the city. He went back. Why? He wasn't finished preaching. He went back. Say, hold on. That was a, a nice little, little intermission, but I got more to tell you right here. I got to finish the story of Jesus. He came back and he would not give up until every person heard. Why? Because God wasn't finished using him. The mission hasn't moved. He wasn't moving. The next day, the mission moved, and so he moved with God. And he did what? He went to Derby. And what did he do in Derby? As you read forward, he preached the gospel even more boldly. No days off. No time off. He was willing to not give up until everyone knew. And that tells me this great truth. We must care more about people's salvation than our safety. And we must care more about their conversion than our comfort. We must care more about people and their salvation more than we ever care about our safety. His life is short, but a mist, but a vapor. Eternity is a long time to be separated from God. All right, we must care more about their salvation more than our safety but we also must prioritize their conversion over our comfort. It's just a pretty uncomfortable situation, I would imagine, having been beaten to death, having left for dead, and people think I'm dead. I'm, I'm imagining in pretty bad shape. But Paul's like, still work to do. Still people to hear, because it's still God who saves. So let me challenge you with this thought. So we take this home today, and, and we think about this text, guys, and we're going we're gonna to wrap this up right here. Here's the takeaway statement I want you to see, that God cares more about your development than he cares about your destination. All right, God cares more about your development more than he cares about your destination. And what do you mean by that? Well, here's what we know. God knows the destination, right? Our God knows all things. He knows our eternal destination. He also knows where you're going to be tomorrow and the next day and the next day. God is a God who knows all things at all times and all ways, right? We know God lives outside of our space and time. God lives outside of our knowledge and existence, right? He lives outside of us because he is God omniscient, omnipresence, right? So we know that. But God cares more not about our destination. He cares more about our, our, our what? He cares more about our development as we go. As we go. Because what was he doing in these guys? Preparing them for glory. He was shaping them. He was sharpening them. He was using them. Preparing them to endure. Because, man, these guys are all going to endure through the end. This ain't the first time Paul's going to get stoned not the first time Paul's going to be in prison. He's going to be shipwrecked. He's going to go through all kinds of things as he goes forward. But what was God doing? He was developing him as he goes. What is God doing in you? How is he developing your character? How is he developing your faith? Nothing in your life has ever been on accident. God is going to use all things, and he can use and turn all things for your good and his glory. It's Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's nothing that God can't undo. There's nothing God can't use for our good and for his glory. I want to challenge you with this. Man, God cares about your development because he's already got your destination. How are you developing in Christ? If you're going to be a difference maker, you've got to let him work on you. To be a difference maker, you've got to be willing to follow him in faith no matter where it takes you, no matter what it costs you. If you're going to be a difference maker for Jesus, you've got to be all in. 
everywhere you are, be all in for Jesus. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.